This is Dave Green at East Line Studio, where we produce the Historian's Podcast. Bob Cudmore will have the latest edition of the Historian's in just a few seconds. The Historian's Podcast depends on your donations to continue. You may donate online at GoFundMe.com slash The Historian's, or send a check to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. The Historian's is also heard on RISE, WMHT's radio service for the blind and print disabled, WMHT.org, and on SoundCloud, search East Line Studio. And now, on with the show. This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Liz Covart to the program. How are you doing, Liz? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's our pleasure. Liz Covart is host of Ben Franklin's World, a history podcast focusing on the American Revolution and the early years of the American Republic. I know that you've done many things in regard to history, including earning a PhD in that subject. Uh, How come you decided to do a podcast? When I moved back to Boston in about 2012, I didn't need to drive anywhere anymore, so I started walking a lot. And to fill that time, I started listening to podcasts, and I didn't hear a podcast about early American history. I didn't hear a podcast where the hosts did anything but lecture to me. And those weren't the types of podcasts I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear a podcast about early American history, and I wanted to hear some discussion about it. So I decided, well, rather than wait for someone to create one for me, I would just create one myself. Yes, and you have some interesting features. For example, the podcast that I heard you have, Ask the Historian. People uh, phone you or or send you questions? Yeah, that is a new segment I'm trying to get off the ground. Um, I want people to feel comfortable. If they have historical questions, I will either answer them or I will find someone who can. You know, I don't know the answer to every historical question, but I know colleagues who might, so... Now, in the again, the episode I heard, the question had to do with how do you develop an historical interest or something like that. That may not have been how it was phrased. And you talked some about yourself. And um, I've already mentioned you have a Ph.D. in history, and I'd be interested in hearing where that's from and all that. But I thought it was fascinating what you said about your upbringing. Apparently your family was very historically minded. Yes, I grew up in New England, born in Boston, raised in New Hampshire, and we would often spend our weekends using our little travel trailer to travel around the region, and every place we stopped, we'd stop at a historic site. Um, And then as my brother and I grew older, our parents, you know, we were very fortunate, our parents would fly us into, like, Northern California, and we'd drive around, you know, uh, Yosemite and Lake Tahoe and Carson City and Virginia City and all these places around. So we're always seeing historic sites in different parts of the country as well. Hmm. So we're very much history and museum people. I don't mean to pry, but I mean, are your folks professors or in the, in this field of history or, or something like that? Or No, my mom's a nurse and my dad uh, purchases food for a bunch of independent restaurants, but they happen to love history. And as I, I think I said in this episode, uh, in this Ask a Historian segment, we did not, my brother and I were not allowed a cash allowance. We had to earn all the money that we needed um, if we wanted to buy something special as kids. But what I realize now, and I didn't realize then, is we didn't get a cash allowance, but they always gave us an allowance in books. Hmm. So each week or two, you know, we'd be able to purchase a new book that we wanted to read or go to the library and pick out new books. And I was always picking out history books. So I think all those historic site visits really rubbed off. 
Liz Kovart uh, talking with us. Uh, she produces Ben Franklin's World uh, History uh, podcast, lives now in Boston. Um, I, I mentioned uh, your, your college training a couple of times, so let's uh, maybe uh, get into that. You earned your uh, degree, I believe, from the uh, University of California, and you had a fairly uh, famous professor as an advisor. Yes. When I, I did my undergraduate training at Penn State, I majored in history, and uh, my professor there said, you know, you're going to be a professor someday. And I said, Bill, you're, Bill Pensack was his name. I said, Bill, you're crazy. I was only like a sophomore, but by junior year, he, I figured he was right. I was going to go to grad school. I love to research history. I love the thrill of the hunt for the information. And um, one of my other professors at Penn State suggested that I look at East, uh, West Coast schools and I was like, well, the only professor I know out there is Alan Taylor. And Alan Taylor won the Pulitzer Prize for <laughs> William Cooperstown. So I can't actually imagine getting in to work with him. But I applied anyway. And sure enough, um, Alan Taylor accepted me as a student. And that's who I worked with. And, and now he has two Pulitzer Prizes. Yes. So. But that first one uh, relates uh, to the area where our uh, podcast springs from, uh, upstate New York. It was about Cooperstown or William Cooper and uh, James Fenimore Cooper. Yes, William Cooperstown, um, he was looking at how the politics of, of the post-revolution New England migration into New York and how that affected settlement and what it was like to settle a town. And his, he's, his work has rubbed off on me in that my dissertation was about Albany and how the post-revolution New England migration and the settlement of New York affected life in a well-established community like Albany that already had a town and cultural values and politics of its own. So, Well, in fact, we, we know about Albany. We're quite close to Albany. And since you brought it up, let's uh, uh, discuss your interest in Albany or your dissertation on uh, the effect of the American Revolution on Albany. Um, you had a five-year residency up here uh, at the New York State Library in Albany. Well, the New York State Library invited me for a short-term research residency, um, and when I received the paperwork that I had been granted this residency, I had looked around for fellowships to study upstate New York, and there's not a lot of fellowships available. And my partner, Tim, who is from Binghamton, uh, our families were both back on the East Coast, so I talked to Alan about moving back to the East Coast so I could better research my dissertation, and he said, that's a great idea. So we moved to Glenmont, just outside of Albany, and that's where I lived for five years. And when I wasn't at my house, I was pretty much in the New York State Library or New York State Archives. And it's just a, such an amazing, those are amazing institutions. New York is blessed to have them. Mm. And I wish pe more people would make use of them. Yes. And um, recently, and, and I, there was this uh, conference here in the Fort Plain in Harry, New York, about uh, the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley, which is uh, specifically an area that I write about or know something about. I don't know much about the revolution, in all honesty, but uh, others do. And this was a, a, a great gathering. Over 100 people came. And there's more of an emphasis on uh, the American Revolution from the point of view of these little uh, tourist sites. I don't, shouldn't 
probably use that term. Sounds demeaning. But, I mean, there, there are places like the Fort Plain Museum. You know, that was a fort during the Revolution. Uh, the uh, Arkell Museum, which is uh, more of an art museum, but it's in Canajahari, and other residences like the 1747 Nellis Tavern. And what was going on in the Mohawk Valley, maybe not specifically in Albany, was uh, during the Revolution, it was a constant series of raids by the British and their Indian allies and, and fighting back against that. Uh, so um, they're trying to focus, I say they, I think the tourist sites and maybe even the commercial interests in the Mohawk Valley are trying to drum up some tourism there as people tour sites uh, involved in the Civil War. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, one of the great things about New York history and the revolution is it's very much fun to research. Um, New York has a very complicated history when it comes to the revolution because unlike in New England, and I'm sure New England wasn't like how we portray it, um, New England was a patriot stronghold, and it's often portrayed as a region where that universally accepted the revolution and became patriot. And New York is not a region where that narrative fits at all, because it was highly divided. Um, even in Albany, New York, in the city of Albany, Populist there was more or less patriot, but I haven't been able to determine if it's overwhelmingly patriot because they believe in the patriot beliefs or mm-hmm. it's overwhelmingly patriot because they've just reconciled to the fact that it was either the patriot army or the British army that was going to occupy their city. And they had had such a bad experience with the British army during the French and Indian War that experience involved forcibly quartering troops in their personal homes mm-hmm. well, um, that they decided that they didn't want to um, – hinder the patriot cause. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I'd mentioned how the British and their Indian allies would raid, but not all the Indians were allies of the British. Probably most of them were of the, um, I believe the what we call the Iroquois. I think they called it the Haudenosaunee. In particular, the Mohawks were allies of the of the British. But uh, w- one of the speakers at the recent uh, conference was Jim Kirby, whose book is called Forgotten Allies, the Oneida Indians in the American Revolution. The Oneidas ended up siding with the the Patriots on at least on one important uh, occasion when they, in 1777, and of course didn't get much for that. I mean, they ended up being uh, put on reservations and put uh, elsewhere. But uh, for the Native Americans, they were trying to decide which side to back in this war. Yes, uh, Native Americans were far from. United and like the Patriots and or I should say Euro-Americans, they were trying to decide, should I be loyalist to the crown, go to the Patriot cause or try and maintain some sort of neutral course. And as you pointed out, the Oneida by and large decided that they would ally with the Patriot cause. The Mohawks by and large decided that they would ally with the British. And there were many of the other tribes that, you know, peoples that decided that they would try and maintain a neutral course. Um, and, and that's generalizing because there's factions in each group, of course, that would choose something different than the majority. Um, but it, it created a lot of warfare. And most people think, oh, the war in New York ends after Saratoga in 1777, but it doesn't. It actually continues on past the surrender at Yorktown in 1781 because loyalist bands and patriot bands and Native American bands are fighting each other. It's very much the American Revolution and its war for independence in New York is very much a civil war. Mm. Liz Covart is uh, with us, historian. She does her own history podcast called 
Ben Franklin's world and has a special interest in her doctoral uh, dissertation about the Revolutionary War and its impact on the Albany, New York area. We recently uh, did a program uh, with a couple of uh, folks from the Schuyler Mansion, uh, Peter Schuyler, an important figure uh, on the Patriot or your, you know, the fighting the the British uh, side of the American uh, Revolution, and also its connection to a real hot topic in American history these days, Alexander Hamilton, because Hamilton married a Schuyler daughter. I think it was Elizabeth Schuyler, and he apparently did some of his research in the Federalist Papers up at uh, the Schuyler Mansion. What, what I'm driving at, and you're probably wondering, uh, a lot of times people wonder if I'm actually asking a question or not, what I'm driving at, what do you think of this uh, Hamilton resurgence with this big uh, musical coming, or it's not coming out, it's been out, but it's really now uh, going on to Broadway? I really don't know what to make of the Hamilton resurgence. Um, I am going to see the play in August with a group of other historians, so I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but I think any any resurgence that gets people talking about early American history is a good thing. Okay. Um, now, you, you told the story about when you were an undergraduate, one of your professors said, well, eventually you're going to become a professor. It seems to me that you are making your living at um, – history, but you haven't done that yet, or, or have you, and I missed it, or do you hope to become a professor at some point? I haven't ruled out um, becoming a professor. My passion is historical research and communicating ideas of history so that I can help people form a, a connection with history, that I can help them form an idea of why the past is relevant to our present. Um, and there's presently no place in the academy or the university system for people like me. Um, so I have struck it out on my own. And as those positions develop, I should be well poised to get one. Um, I do like teaching. I probably wouldn't do the podcast if I didn't, but I also really love um, the research as well. Um, so I want to pursue that and whatever paid sort of employment I take up. Also, and I'm telling a tale out of school, when we were arranging to do this interview, you said you were having some lessons in Dutch. And uh, the Dutch, of course, figure a great deal in Albany and also in uh, New York City down the river. I'm just wondering if you're in your five years in Albany, you must have come across Charlie Gehring. I have met Charlie. He's, he's a fantastic scholar. And um, I am not actually a scholar of New Netherland. Uh, but I have benefited from the translations that he and Yanni Venema and Martha Shattuck have, have done through the New Netherland Institute. Now, the, um, you, you said that your interest, your, your dissertation, and you cement this residency here about the American Revolution in Albany. You talked about how it's more, more divided than you know, we, we might think. Uh, and, but also you cover a, a long period of time. How did the the cause of the revolution or whatever you want to call it um proceed uh during those tumultuous years do you mean proceed like how did it get started in albany or what was it like to live through the war yeah what happened to the people in albany i mean at the end of the war were they solidly for uh the new u.s government or was there still dissent about it um the people of albany of the city of albany were primarily what you would call federalists. Um, they wanted a strong federal government. They were for the new nation. Um, I think the people of Albany County, by and large, are also for the new nation, um, but they 
wouldn't necessarily they weren't a majority for the constitution um but the people in the city of albany were what complicates all of these federalist anti-federalist views and the legacy of the revolution in albany is after the revolution 700 to 800,000 New Englanders start pouring over the borders. They had been on Sullivan's campaign in 1778, 1779. Um, They had fought at Saratoga. They had been up at Ticonderoga. They know that New York has land and that no one is farming it um, because they don't view what the Native Americans are doing on it to be farming. Um, So they're pouring over the borders. And in Albany specifically, in the city of Albany specifically, there's a huge cultural confrontation because these New Englanders come in. New Englanders and the people of Albany have always had a rocky relationship back to the days of New Netherland. Neither population particularly likes the other. Um, And the New Englanders come in and they pretty much want to dictate what their city should look like. I mean, Albany survived a, a long war and the city needs to be fixed. You know, roads need to be repaired. Bridges need to be repaired. Buildings need to be rebuilt. And the city, because of the population, also needs to expand. So what does all of this new infrastructure and all of these new city buildings look like? Well, the Yankees have some pretty strong views on it, but so do the people of Albany. So this leads to wars over, like, how we're going to pave our streets. What should our gutters look like? Mm. Um, what sort of docks do we want to have? And these are debates that they're they're hashing out in the public realm in newspapers um at common council meetings Mm -hmm. trying to flesh out what they want their city to look like after the war not being an actual student of history you know somebody who studied it in that uh, in a collegiate world or anything like that but the the stories that i've um, heard about the end of the revolution the aftermath in the mohawk valley which i'm more familiar with uh, places like where I grew up in Amsterdam or Fort Plain, Harry Fort Hunter, going up uh, to Herkimer and Little Falls in Utica, is the that that region, the valley, becomes uh, one of the things that becomes is the way west. It's how you get west if you're you know uh, say coming from the east coast going somewhere else. So you do see this influx of New Englanders, and also it seems right after the war. There's an influx of soldiers. I get the impression that the new U.S. government granted land to soldiers who then settled in, well, for example, we have a little village called Hegeman, and Joseph Hegeman was a a veteran of of combat and was granted a certain amount of land that, you know, as you said, had previously been Indian land, and he moves here. So we see the... um, in the 1780s, 90s, into the early uh, 1800s, maybe until the Erie Canal is built and kind of makes uh, the way west uh, official, it's a kind of a kind of a time of growth, but it must have been a, a time of unrest as well up here. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that, especially around the the canal debates as well. You know, will your will your town be on the canal route or won't it be on the canal route? And you're and you're totally right. New York, and I would argue Albany specifically, um, was America's first gateway. It was how you got to Canada using the Hudson River and its portages. It was how you went west to the Great Lakes, western New York and the Midwest, um, through the Mohawk River and its portages, later the Erie Canal. And it was how you got to the, to the Atlantic Ocean um, in New York City as well. Um, so I know St. Louis likes to bill itself as, a, as the gateway to America, but it's the second gateway. Albany was definitely... 
Albany and New York were definitely the first. All right. Uh, Liz uh, Covart uh, with us, uh, historian, host of Ben Franklin's World, a history podcast focusing on the American Revolution and the early years of the American Republic. Uh, let me give you a chance to plug the uh, podcast. Who are, are some of the people that you have had or will have uh, on uh, the uh, podcast uh, now? Sure. So Ben Franklin's World is a podcast about early American history. We cover topics from the colonial period up up until the Civil War. There won't, there's not a lot of Civil War, um, but we do get up there. Past guests have included Alan Taylor, um, Joyce Chaplin, and Robert Middlecoff. Robert Middlecoff was just on a couple weeks ago. He was discussing his new book, um, Washington's Revolution, The Making of America's First Leader. Mm-hmm. Um in the future, we will also have uh, Heather Cox Richardson. She'll be discussing the history of the Republican Party, um, which is very timely as we have another presidential election coming up. And Republicans always like to cite that they're the party of Lincoln. Um, but And historically, that's true, but not necessarily true today. So we'll be discussing that. Um, and in the fall, we should also have Eric Foner on to discuss his new Underground Railway book. Well, certainly he hasn't been on this podcast, but his name has uh, come up. We've talked with, uh, oh, if I remember, Don Papson, Tom Calarco, who've uh, written a new book about the Underground uh, Railroad. Uh, and it seemed like they had a certain, especially Mr. Calarco, had a certain, I wouldn't say a dispute with Foner. I mean, he spoke very respectfully of him. But Calarco is definitely of the camp uh, that uh, whites and African Americans were involved in the Underground Railroad. Uh, and the point of his new book, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, the exact title kind of eludes me, was the Regis, they have, Calarco uh, and Papson have been publicizing, and so has Foner, this register of uh, freedom seekers who passed through New York City uh, with their names, uh, where they uh, had come from, their their slave names and the names they uh, took up and, and how, and to some extent, I think how they made uh, progress. So that really is a fascinating topic. It's something that people are very interested in. Yeah, it's, it's also an area of history I don't know much about, which is okay. one of the wonderful things about this podcast, because I'm reading all sorts of books about early American history that are not necessarily in my area of expertise. So I, I learn from each one of the books that I read or um, the administrators of these historic sites that I I interview them about. Mm. Well, have, have you ever? Uh, in fact, he's got a new book coming out. Uh, we're going to interview him on this uh, podcast. Uh, Ken Davis is out and about again. I've ever heard of Ken, but he's uh, on a popular level. He gets on the Today Show and Good Morning America and so forth with a series of books. Don't know much about history, and uh, he's going to write one about the home fronts of the American of American wars uh, over the years. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I find him a fascinating person. I uh, I don't know Ken personally, but I did read um, two of his books while I was in high school, and I very much enjoyed them. So I, I look forward to tuning in for when you have him on the show. Okay. Love to hear that, Liz. Um, the fact, um, Ken, with you know his research, is doing, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth that you haven't said, but... You know, when when you started talking at the beginning about your approach to history, it reminded me of of Ken Davis. I mean, you, you want. In fact, I think I had a quote from you here from some of your material. You wanted to be a bridge or kind of draw from both the camp that says, "Well, look, this is a serious topic. You know, we can't just be a bunch of storytellers," which is where I am, frankly. I'm you know a, a one of the bunch of storytellers. But on the other hand, 
you don't want to not tell stories. You don't want to do it in a way that doesn't involve people. You try to bridge that gap. Yeah, I'm, I've, just, I've coined the term hybrid historian, which is how I consider myself. I live with one foot in academic history and one foot in public history, meaning I live with one foot, you know, trying to research and really get at the past through the primary sources. And then the other part of my job, I really believe, is conveying why that's important to the public. Um, and, you know, storytelling is important. I mean, there's no point in in doing what we do if we can't make it relevant to the present because it's history that tells us who we are and how we've got here today and how we may be able to avoid mistakes that we might be thinking about making um all we have to do is is look at the past so you have the podcast ben franklin's world i I saw words on your website indicating that you have a book or you're working on a book yes so i'm turning my dissertation um which was collision collision on the hudson um Identity, Migration, and the Improvement of Albany, New York, 1750 to 1830. It has one of those really great long dissertation titles. Yes. I'm working on turning that dissertation into a book. Um, It's tentatively titled America's First Gateway. I do not have a subtitle for it yet, Um, but it will look at Albany and its development from 1614 when the first fur trading outpost was there till about 1830, so just after the Erie Canal. And specifically, it's going to look at how the population there created first Dutch, then British, and finally an American identity. Um, Because I'm fascinated by regionalism and how we're all Americans, and yet we all have this very distinct American identity. I wanted to get at, you know, how does a group go about forming it? And, you know, New York's a great place to look because it's like most of its history, it's complicated. It's not easy, which no. makes it a lot of fun. Indeed. And the Dutch angle is is something that's different. I remember in my long and checkered life, I worked uh, some years for the State University of New York at their uh, downtown Albany headquarters. And I remember the university, in its wisdom, decided to build a parking garage next door. And I, I remember being at the meeting when uh, Karen Hartkin, who's a well-known architectural person in Albany, had a crew there. And she said, ladies and gentlemen, we have uncovered the 1600s. And apparently the parking garage was to be built uh, where it had been a dock for whatever the settlement was called back in the 1600s. I hasten to say the parking garage was built, but um, uh, you run into that kind of thing in Albany. And I guess about, you know, there are relatively few cities in America where that that happens, that you find the European uh, settlement beginning in the 1600s. There are a few settlements and, you know, I know New Englanders love to pride themselves on the way that they preserve and interpret history and they do do deserve a lot of praise. Um, But the cultural tradition in New York was just very different. You know, Albany's history in some ways is is longer than it is longer than the history of Boston, uh, 1614 versus 1630. But they changed with the times. They didn't really necessarily look back to the past. It was like, well, this building is is run down. We need to replace it. So they replace it. Um, they don't really, you know, they, they're looking forward rather than looking back. Um, and it was just their, their cultural outlook. They just didn't necessarily reflect as much. Well, Liz Covart, pleasure talking with you. We have a couple of minutes left and I've left that kind of for a, for a plug and maybe a couple other things about your, uh, activities, uh, people who are hearing you and, uh, I think we'll want to listen to your uh, podcast and all the, you know, it's the internet. All they really need to know is your name is spelled C-O-V-A-R-T. And you can probably uh, link that with Ben Franklin or something like that and come up with all the 
uh, correct location, but uh, where uh, is your podcast offered? My podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher and all the major podcast subscription networks, but you can also find it at benfranklinsworld.com. And you'll find all the episodes listed there. If you only like to listen to podcasts via your computer, you can do it there. You can download the episodes right there. Okay. And in addition uh, to the, the podcast and, and your website, or maybe this is you, you do this on the website or, or as a blog, but you have a, a blog called Uncommonplace Book Mondays. Uh, well, well, tell us about your, your blogging there. So my blog is on my personal website. You can go to uncommonplacebook.com or elizabethcovart.com. And the blog started as a chronicle of how I was going to make it work as an independent historian. Um, I still don't have a solid answer that yet, but um, I blog about issues of the historical profession for my colleagues. So that blog is really uh, aimed towards other professional historians. Um, but the podcast is not. The podcast is aimed for anybody who loves history. And we'll often talk to professional historians so that we can get information from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about what's going on in history and, and how we've created the present day world by looking at the past. Mm. Well, best of luck with uh, your book about Albany, and uh, that'll be a. We'll certainly talk to you when that comes out, and I'm sure uh, sure it'll be a bestseller. Well, I'm not sure, but I'm hoping it'll be a bestseller, Liz. That's me too, Bob. Thank yeah. you. Well, Liz Covart uh, joining us, historian, and she is host of Ben Franklin's World a History podcast, focusing on the American Revolution and early years of the Republic. We're out of time on the historians, Liz. You have a good day. Thank you. You too, Bob. <laughs>